0: Oh. Mm. Okay, I got it. Frerzjaka, Jacques. Frerzjaka, Jacques, Frerzjaka. Donny, give it up. Oh. <laughs> 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 Hi guys. Yo, April. Hey. What hey. It is? Woo. Yeah, we brought it in. Let's see. Ah, pizza. can't. Yep. Please, please, uh-huh. a moment to reflect. Ah. ah. <laughs> uh, okay, ninja, yeah, slice. ninja pizza. Uh, ninja pizza? Pizza that vanishes quickly without trace. Ah. Yeah. Yo, Mikey, hmm? toss me a ninja slice. Donnie, Statue of Liberty. Yeah. yeah come on, throw it. come no. over okay. here, okay. Mikey. No, I'm right here. Don't. He's Don't. in the forties, he's Don't. in the twenties. He looks, he rolls oh, oh, back, yeah. oh, oh, he sees traffic in the end He goes, yeah. ninja. Oh, oh, Touchdown! Yeah. yeah! Yeah! So, any luck finding a new place to live yet? Well, you know, in this market, it's actually very difficult to find good subterranean housing. Hey, we could always go back to the old sewer then. Well... Oh, yeah. Right, Rap? It's a little tough when about 500 members of the Foot Clan know where you live, you know? He's right. What? We kicked their butts. They're all in jail. Sides. We took out the Shredder. So what's everybody so worried about anyway? He's right. right. No, yeah, the Splinter took out the Shredder. They're both right. Yeah, yeah. I was there, Leo, remember? Old Shred did a swan dive with a half gainer right into the back of a garbage truck. Ah! Rafael, huh? come away from there. Jeez, I was just gonna- Never forget who you are. You are Ninja. You must always practice the art of invisibility. All of you. Yeah? Well, I don't get it. I mean, why? We saved the city. Why can't we just go out and... Stand before me, my sons. For 15 years, you have been confined below. Now, the outside world beckons your teenage minds. Yeah. yeah. But they could never understand. Their world can never be ours. Well... Uh, n- not even pizza? Mm-hmm. Pizza's okay. <sighs> oh, man, And you die a, a heart attack. <laughs> Here, let me get you guys some napkins. What, what for? for? Take our child. We will not be here much longer. Oh, no, no. Uh, you guys can stay here as long as you want. Oh, All right. oh thank thank you. Thank you. No, we do not belong here. Oh, above. Man. Yes, Master Splinter. Yes, Master Splinter. <clears throat> what? what? Hey, ten flips now. <laughs> oh. Go. Ridiculous. One. One. Such energy is wasted. Two. Remember, the true ninja is a master of all things, a master of his environment, a master of himself. Focus your thoughts on where we must go and leave the shredder buried.
1: Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming back one of our, our, our first guests, and that's Mike Blanchard. Mike, how are you doing today?
2: I'm good. How are you, Perry?
1: Doing pretty good. Uh, so it's been a while since we've had you on. So if you could take a few minutes and uh, give the audience a little reminder about who you are, and what you do.
2: All right. So I go by TFG1 Mike online. Uh long time ago one of my listeners was like what does the tfg1 stand for and it's transformers generation one that person thought it meant the great one so you know (laughs) not not exactly true uh i co-created and co-run the geekcast radio network of podcasts with my buddy steve megatron we also have a bunch of other contributors like the comic concierge and optimus solo and other people and I've been podcasting for 14 years this, well, December 2022. And uh, and yeah, I've covered a whole bunch of stuff in 14 years.
1: Okay, great. <laughs> and um, what we've been doing lately is I've been asking guests what kind of thing is kind of grabbing their interest. You know, nothing for, for podcasting or for work, or, but just something that mm. is grabbing your interest in general right now for fun. It can be movies, TV, anything. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's honestly, it's a combination of all of it, but I'm kind of weird because I don't have, I'm disabled. I've been disabled my whole life. I have cerebral palsy with other issues. I had had to brain surgery in 2019, so I'm even lucky Uh I'm still here. But for me lately, with what has happened to me in the past year with losing my wife... uh, I'm sorry. I have less interest in in things like all of my interests go back into podcasting for whatever we want to talk about and i'm interested in those things i'm still a fan of all the things i've been a fan of my whole life but Uh i'm not going to sit here and watch a movie just to watch a movie i'm going to put on an episode of forensic files so i can fall asleep more so than (laughs) so i i'm all about the podcasting life (laughs) Uh
1: okay all right. Uh, well, today we are talking about uh the second Ninja Turtles movie, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. The Secret of the Ooze. uh came out just a year after the original movie, and um so before we jump too much into the movie, what's your association with the turtles?
2: I grew up with the cartoon, nineteen eighty seven. I know a lot of people grew up. With, I was four years old when the comic started, so mm-hmm. it it just isn't so I grew up with the cartoon. I remember having the BK your way VHS tapes and everything else. And I love the cartoon. I saw the first film in theaters. I saw this, I was 11 years old and I saw this in theaters Mm -hmm. and the first movie was a little dark as you know, it was a combination of both kind of thing. This was more animated series fun. Mm -hmm. At least that's what they were trying to go for. And yeah, I mean, I've been a lifelong Turtles fan. I've read and covered all of the IDW publishing books on my mm-hmm. podcast and other things and and all that. I have the toys like I, I, I just said to you off air. I have I actually have more than this, but I have the in my hand. People can't see this because I don't do video. I'm an audio podcaster. Mm-hmm. I have the Funko Pop Super Shredder. <laughs> That was a Target exclusive, and it's basically him in that initial pose of the fists, like, I'm going to kill you at at the Mm -hmm. end of the movie. So it's hilarious. It's awesome.
1: Okay. Uh, So you're mostly uh, associated with the animated series. Have you read any of the original comics? No. No? Okay. I'm going to eventually, but I have not yet, no. Okay, because I came in through the um, through the animated series as well back in, and I I talked about this back when Derek and I t- discussed the the first movie, um, yeah. like that that was my religion basically basically when I was a little kid was I had turtles mm-hmm. everything I had the bed sheets I had the toys the playsets um the um you know the clothes the 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 turtles on un- um underwear all that stuff I had I had all of it and um and that's one of those obsessions that uh kind of stuck with me over the years was the turtles so when they um when they did the uh the original movie i saw that when i was in kindergarten i loved that and then um second movie as a kid i actually loved the second movie a lot more than the first but now that i'm older and i'm looking back on the and i've understood more about the turtles i've gone back and i've read the original comics um Reading the, the the IDW stuff now too as well, and and I saw the uh, the 2003 adaptation, which was um, so much closer to the original comics and such mm-hmm. uh, a more accurate uh, blending of the, the the really dark the dark style of the comic books with the more comedic style of the animated series. So, looking back on it now, I've flipped on my opinion of the movies. I now vastly prefer the, the original one to to this one. And when I was watching this one last night, it was actually a bit of a chore to, to get through, to be honest.
2: There is only... So, I, I told you, when we were talking about setting this up and doing this, I said that I have always loved this one. I, I love them both. I actually uh-huh. enjoy all three of them, but... I don't want to get too far into the third. The thing is, is I told you I was going to look at this with a critical eye this time. And Mm -hmm. I was trying to find things wrong with it. I was trying to find things that would make me not want to enjoy it as much as I always have. Mm -hmm. There's only one line in the entire movie that I think, and I, I am a firm believer of you look at things in the time that they were made. You don't hold them up to today's standards, but uh-huh. people hold things up to today's standards all the damn time. Sorry. So the only line that I can pinpoint out of this entire film that people would get mad at, and rightfully so, is freaking Kino. Well, it, it it's, it's in the very beginning of the movie. Well, when I think about you, I'll think about something a little thinner. And I'm like... Uh-huh. <sighs> God, like, you kino and I know that's not the actor's fault. I know that's not his fault, mm-hmm. but the the writing, oh man, that, that was the only thing. And yes, it is. this film is very goofy. And I think the reason why that is, no matter what reports are out there or whatever, as far as the facts of the film is, the first film was a mix. It mm-hmm. was a, a 50-50 split of what the comics were, and what the cartoon there was a little bit of the humor in there but this is all all 80s and 90s cartoon humor in this film right and we need something like that i think we need that slapstick um,
1: maybe i but i don't think that changing something like the turtles is necessarily the right way to go about it in my mind because i think if you're if you're going to be adapting something i think you really have to be true to the spirit that the, that the original was in. And mm-hmm. that was something that Eastman and Laird really hated about the, the original animated series was how, how much they had taken it away from, um, from the, the dark roots and how they had made it more slapsticky. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, when you're talking about the original movie, I mean, it became the highest grossing independent film up until the Blair Witch Project. And, um, And it was an independent movie that everybody thought was going to bomb. Like when, even when the, when the producers of the animated series, when they saw the, the first cut of the movie, they told the director, Steve Barron, they're like, you've killed this franchise. We've, we just started this and now you've gone and killed it. They thought it was like the death sentence for it. And it turned out to be the complete opposite. It turned out to be this huge, um, shot in the arm for the franchise. And, um and that first movie holds up a lot like the effects hold up the the humor holds up there's um there's a you can see where some of the push and pull from the studio came from with, with regards to making it more family friendly with like the the foot clan are not actually ninjas now but they're all these kind of wayward yous that the the shredder kind mm-hmm. of tricks into joining him and you've got the the um the producer's kid Danny in there who's you know really kind of a pain in the ass but those things aside, the movie is very true to the comic books. And Steve yes. Barron was very, um, was a huge fan of those comics. And in fact, when he met with Eastman and Laird, he brought like several specific comics. He laid them out in front and he said, that's the movie right there. We don't have to change a thing. And, and I think he was right. But eventually he ended up getting pulled from the movie uh, towards the end of production because the studio wanted to make it more family friendly, whereas Baron actually wanted to make it darker than it was. Mm. So when it came to this one, the studio had a lot more control. They, they, um, they boosted the budget of it, but they wanted to make it more like the animated series. And in fact, one of the things they did want to do was they wanted to bring in Bebop and Rocksteady from the animated series. And that was the one thing that Eastman and Laird were able to put their foot down about. And they said, no we do not want any of that shit in this movie so they were very um i think that i can understand the argument that we need slapsticky stuff and yeah i can i can appreciate that but i think you got to stay true to to what was established in the first movie and also what you know the creators wanted to do with this yeah It does get
2: very heavy. This movie, like as much as I say it does have a lot of slapstick in it, which it does, 90% of it is slapstick, but there are, instead of having two or three scenes where it is so super serious, like in the first film, where you have the... shredder with the you know you are now the foot and you know the 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 opening scene of of his introduction and then the later scenes with with him and you know danny raises his hand like uh master i know where they are i'm gonna tattle to you Mm -hmm. kid you know all that in this movie they have the scene where two different scenes where they go into their quote-unquote heritage since they do the whole Tcri Tgri thing and oh this Mm -hmm. was the canister this was this this was that so those are like Donatello being a lot more like he was serious in the first film but he was also uh, Donnie and Mikey are the two slapstickiest ones Mm -hmm. out Leo and Raph are the serious ones and I I'll say that across most of most of the franchise but what you had in this was Donatello like questioning where they were coming from and how they were, you know, he wanted the answers and we got, you know, splinter kind of gave them the answers and the whole ooze thing and everything else. And so there were serious parts. It's just that it was only 10% instead of 50, 50.
1: Yeah. I think it definitely gets overshadowed, but you brought up Donatello. I think that's a good thing. Like Adam Carl takes over as the voice of, of Donnie in this movie. Um, replacing Corey Feldman, who had did it in the first movie, because at the time uh, Feldman had been arrested for drug possession. I think it was. And Mm -hmm. um, I think Carl is a much better suited voice for Donnie, as opposed to Corey Feldman. He, he plays Donnie more like, I think Donnie should be played. Um, Ryan Tochi and Robbie Rist are also back as Leo and Mike. um, But then we also have Lori Fazo as Raph and, mostly tries to imitate what Josh pius did in the first movie but i there are several times when i'm listening i'm just like this is you're you're almost there you're about like 95 percent of the way there but there are those little moments when it it falls short
2: yeah as much as i appreciate laurie's performance he he is no josh pius Mm -hmm. he just he just isn't um and I, i and right before we get on here i was like wait a minute who did the voice? Of? Wait a minute. That's not like, I'm looking at all these things on Wikipedia and IMDb and I'm like trying to like compare and contrast between mm-hmm. the two films. I'm like, Oh, that's what they did. Oh, that's what they did. Okay. Uh, interesting. And I didn't realize they replaced shredder.
1: Yeah. they had replaced him. Um, it the, was, it was, James Saito. right. Yeah. James Saito did the physical performance in the first film. And they mm-hmm. brought in uh Francois Chow to play him mm-hmm. in this film. And um they I think they still have the same voice actor. So they do. This okay. They, yeah, they Mike do. um David McCharen, Yeah, he did mm-hmm. it in in both. Now that was one of my problems with the first movie was the fact that they brought in this white actor to to voice this Asian character when James Saito is is a Japanese American, right? He's got, yeah. he's got, and he's got a good voice. He's a very good actor. So I don't know why they wouldn't just let him do his own voice. They did the same thing to, um, I'm pretty sure they did Tatsu. the same thing. Yeah. Tatsu, um, yeah. Toshishito Obata, who, who played him, uh, did the physical performance, but then they had again, another white guy. They bring in Michael McConaughey My- to do a Japanese accented English, which is just so bad. <laughs> it's just so bad.
2: Yeah. It's, it's but, It it, And it sucks for today's times and it sucks for that, but it's Uh like, those were the times that's what they were deciding on. It sucks. It absolutely sucks that they made those decisions to do that. I look at that and I'm like, Holy crap. I've got a transformer and a turtle right, right here. Even though Michael McConaughey is not, you know, should not be doing the voice of, of Tatsu. He was the voice of Tracks. He was the voice of uh, many Generation One Transformers characters, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize it was him. I just knew the voice was not most likely what the actual actor <laughs> was.
1: Now I can understand it in the case of Obata's character because I'm pretty sure he is, um, he is a Japanese national, so maybe yeah. he's not. Maybe his English isn't that great. I could, I could understand it, but. Again, James Saito, he was, you know, he was born in L.A., so that's why I yeah. don't yeah. that's, that's why it's weird for me for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I I just,
2: yeah, and you're right. This film, man, like, they were upping the mutants, and I know that Eastman and Laird did not want them to do that, and mm. especially bringing in Bebop. Uh, I honestly think this film would have been better if they had found a way to not have to use the ooze, but still had Bebop and Rocksteady. Like, Token Razor are okay. They're essentially, I hate to say this, but they're essentially throwaway characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they they go out and ask her, say have fine, go out and destroy the town and whatever else, but like Bebop and Rocksteady is as much of imbeciles as they are again i'm going to go to my my idw comic roots in the idw books and i don't know i don't rem- I have i need to catch up i will be catching up on the original comics as well soon but in the idw books they gave them such a a story arc as far as between being humans and being mutants and mm-hmm. whatever else and now i know they couldn't do that obviously in 1991 cuz idw didn't whatever whatever but like i yeah like oh i don't i like he's essentially throwing away his entire quote-unquote family of the foot clan to try to beat the turtles with mutants Mm -hmm. how'd that work out for you shredder that 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 didn't work out so well did it i mean i think
1: one of the (laughs) biggest weaknesses here is that they they went back to the the well of bringing back the shredder because again that was something that eastman and laird didn't want to do they wanted because if you go back to those original comics the Shredder is not a recurring adversary. He's just there like in the beginning and then he'll pop up like once or twice again in the in later books. But for the most part, they're they're not going up against the Shredder most of the time. Like the foot is yeah. recurring a lot, but the, the Shredder is not. So um when uh, so they actually wanted to adapt the the utram storyline for for the second movie which was actually what the secret of the us was supposed to be that's why that yeah. tit- that subtitle is in there and even even up until the end they were still working with the idea that jordan perry was actually a neutron in disguise and then at the end of the movie they were going to reveal that the reason why tgri has disappeared is because you know they've gone back to their own planet, and that yes. was that was kind of the big reveal. But the producers were worried that people would be confused because Krang was based on the Utrams, and they were worried that they would that they wouldn't understand that that it was that it was um, this alien scientist. They would have th- that people would have thought it was Krang instead. Which is yeah. I can understand that, but I think going back to the shredder was was a mistake because there's there's not a whole lot of there's not much that happens with the Shredder in this that makes it um, makes it much, adds much to what we saw in the first movie. If anything, kind of detracts from the kind of menace that he had in that first movie, I think.
2: The only time that I found him menacing in this entire film two times is when he debuts the new Razor Blade helmet instead of mm-hmm. the the can opener that he had in the first film and at the very end when you put wrestler kevin nash as mm-hmm. like that's the only time i found him threatening in this movie
1: yeah um oh yeah and that super shorter design is really cool and i did like that scene although one of the issues with that too is it just it ends so quickly too it's just the yeah it 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 it's that raiders of the lost ark problem where the turtles aren't actually stopping the problem themselves no, they're letting the building come come right. crashing down on him, and which, just and and just by luck they happen to survive. So yeah, I, I had a problem as a, as as from a storyteller's perspective with with the way they chose to end that. Yeah, the story in this movie is
2: it's okay. Like mm-hmm. I said, it's. It's got its moments of of hilarity with with Mikey and the combat cold cuts and and fighting them at the mall and not necessarily stealing the pizza, but grabbing the pizza, leaving the cash and and all that. And it's got the serious moments with the master splinter moments and Donatello being a little bit more existential than he Mm -hmm. was in the first film and all of that. But it was like, okay, we we had what we wanted out of this whole film. We got Ninja Rap. That's what we got. We, you know, the producer, and I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and put words into a producer's mouth that I don't know, but I'm just going to say that's what this movie was for. It was for two things, pizza and Mm. Ninja Rap, and they did it both in spades, and that wrap-up of, like, the fight was better than the finale. Mm -hmm. The fight in the club was better than... Super Shredder bringing the thing down. The only thing good about bringing the thing down is obviously the four shells popping up at the end Mm -hmm. and and Mikey's line. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Man, I love being a turtle. That's the Mm -hmm. only good thing about that, that quote unquote finale part. Right. And and then they bookend it with coming home. Were you seen? Mm -hmm.
1: No, Master Splinter. Practice Hada. Like, you know... Yeah, and that that was that was a weird thing too because it, it almost like, and this is this is not a fault of this movie, it's a fault of the third movie, but they almost set it up for for the turtles to be going public at the end there, but then mm-hmm. the third movie there nothing is done with that subplot, so I thought that was also no. uh, yeah. a real story issue too, um, <laughs> and I and personally I say the less said about the third one the better. Um, Okay, can I just say something really quick?
2: I'm not going to take up too much time <laughs> about that. The third movie is not good at all. Mm-hmm. However, there are moments in it that are absolutely awesome. My buddy Joe and I, uh, earlier this year, did a commentary on it. And Joe's a big turtle guy, just like you and I are, and everybody else that, that, that I know and everything else. And watching that movie again for the first time in a long time... I still like what I like, but I see its problems with the story mm. and with the whole time travel, like the fact that they invent pizza in this in the 1600s. <laughs> you know, pizza. Oh, okay. You don't want to do uh, frisbee. Also good. You know mm. that. You know that kind of. It's yeah. But that 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 movie. Oh man. But the second movie. You know, you're right. They should have gone the, the Kerrang route, but you're also right in the, in saying that it probably would have confused the hell out of everybody because right. how many, look, I was, like I said, I was 11 in the theater and all as I saw was, okay, it was green in the movie, but all as I saw was, ooh, the ooze, the ooze from the cartoon, ooh mm-hmm. this, ooh that, and whatever else. I hadn't even read the comics back then, so like oh, I yeah, wouldn't same even here. know. So like the only way I would have known, you know, Krang and and Utram and where like just Krang himself is just if you throw Pat Fraley in there, as you know, as Krang on the big screen, that would have been cool. But but yeah, I don't know.
1: Overall, I still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the other improvements uh, that they made here was. There were two improvements in uh, in casting. One, like I mentioned, was um, Adam Carl or Adam Carl, and the other is Paige Turco. I think I like her um, April O'Neill better than um, Judith Hogue's. I think she she seems to have better chemistry with the turtles. She seems to to play off them a little bit better. Uh, um, mm-hmm. She struck me a little bit more comfortable in the role, whereas um, Hogue, I know she had a bunch of problems on set. Um, yeah. And she ended up, you know, kind of bashing the film after it came out as well, which um, which ended up I know event. I know she came around. I know she like when they had the, the 20th anniversary, she was kind of hoping hosting like a, a covid rewatch rewatch party of it or something like that. But yeah. um, what, what were you what did you think about Paige Turco? As
2: a kid, I'm like, wait, that's not April. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I and then I quickly got over it because I'm like, oh, OK, recast, whatever else as an adult. Looking back on it,
1: I love her as April. I think mm. she's a great April. Yeah, I think she's much better suited. I mean, yeah. she, one of the problems in both, in this one, though, is that April doesn't get a whole lot to do. Um, I think she no. had a little bit more to work with in the in the first movie because of the whole Casey Jones relationship. And they were yep. able to play off each other that. Um, but other than that, she doesn't have a whole lot to do in this. So that was... But even still, she Turco, I think... Well, is is a better fit for the character than than Hogue was.
2: Yeah, I, as much as I love Judith Hogue and as much as I love her April and whatever else and I've loved her and like literally I I remember and I was only 18 at the time when this happened but in 1998 when Armageddon came out and it was revealed that uh, Will Patton's character's wife was was April O'Neil. I'm like wait a minute what what is April O'Neil doing in a movie with mm-hmm. you know Bruce Willis and asteroids and but anyway, yeah, I know Paige, I just, yeah, she is much, she is much more the Renee Jacobs voiced animated series type mm-hmm. of April, where she's willing to go along with most everything. Right. And yeah, and I had the third, the, she was good in the third movie too. I just don't like what they ended up like. They, they're like, oh, let's cut her hair. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, oh, and whatever. Mm-hmm. The funny thing about her as an actress is, is that she went on to do many, many, many other things, but I was shocked to see her as Zoe in Person of Interest. I was like, oh my God, what is April O'Neil doing in Person of Interest with Jim Caviezel and Michael Emerson? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But she, she, in that, she plays this, this fixer type person, you know, government, you know, political scandal fixer, that kind of thing. Okay. And it, it was awesome. It was hilarious. It was great. But yeah, no, her is April. You're right. She didn't have much to do in this one. She had more to do in the third one. But what she had to do in this one worked because mm. she was interacting with the Turtles and with Splinter and... You know, we use the vehicle of her news report at at TCRI, TGRI to, you know, get the whole introduction of Freddy, who was essentially a throwaway character. That's the thing with some of these older, more legacy films. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're worried about plot and story and and character and otherwise they're not. Sometimes they're like, here, have this guy who's going to end up being, you know the whole linchpin into the foot spy thing and whatever mm-hmm. else. And then that's it. He essentially is useless.
1: Yeah. That was another, I would think that was another downgrade here is we don't have Casey in this movie, but instead we get Kino and, and this is nothing against Ernie Ray's junior. Cause I, I thought he was great in the rundown, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's just, this role is just, this character is just so badly written and he's just, um, it's like they, it's like they took so they had the annoying kid sidekick, Danny, in the first movie, who I think, yep. wh- who I maintain was probably one of the worst things about that movie. And yep. it's like what they did was they they wanted to get rid of Casey Jones and elevate the annoying uh, kid sidekick. And so then they bring in Ernie Reyes to do that. Um, and he basically serves the role that a Casey Jones character would serve in this movie. And it just it doesn't work. Like you said, the only real purpose he has there is to, um, <clears throat> is to, to be kind of be their spy in the foot clan, which doesn't even last very long. It doesn't really have much of a payoff anyway.
2: Well, well no, what I was saying was that Freddie, not, not, Ernie, oh, that one. okay. The, the, the foot clan kid who is the camera guy, mm-hmm. he essentially has, but speaking of Kino, you're technically right, but I thought Kino it's not as it, not better than casey but i thought kino was a nice mix like it's like okay yeah you're right absolutely danny pennington pff, drop him off of mm-hmm. whatever you know fine but with kino i look at that character and i'm like okay he's a young kid who's you know studying martial arts okay so we have we can tie that back to turtles whatever, whatever, whatever. He's also very, <laughs> he's very green.
1: People mm-hmm. can't see
2: me doing the air quotes, but he's very green in his, you know, believability of things. And you have this thing of, with, 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 it's kind of like with Casey and Raff in the first movie, it was very antagonistic eventually mm-hmm. once they began, until they became friends with Kino and Raff, It's more of like, here kid, let me explain to you why you need to do it. Which you know why you need to look at it from this point, and then I don't know. I I kind of like Kino. I think he I think he gets a bad rap.
1: I mean, I think he, you're you're right. He is better than Danny. He's an improvement on that. But I think if we have to sacrifice Casey to get him, I don't like it. And it, this was just yeah, that. No, that's not good. And this was yeah. just that that trend in 80s, 90s movies where producers, for some reason, they always felt that kids needed to have some sort of kid's teen sidekick or something to be the point of view character to be relatable to kids and me as a kid like I always hated those characters so I don't know (laughs) who they're appealing to
2: Uh, I'll give you a quick rundown and I've said this on many podcasts recently the 80s into the 90s is a timeline specifically to animation where Mm -hmm. you have things start and stop let's just take 83 as an example 83 you had he-man 84 you had transformers 85 you had this that and the other thing 87 so from 84 to 87 we get transformers from 87 to 96 we get turtles for cartoons so it's this whole like moving thing of of evolution of characters and hey kids that this is done now because of whatever Mm. because we didn't know and we didn't care but it was oh crap it's done you know, move on to this. So, so yeah, it's this whole evolution of 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 movement with it, and and yeah, I mean, Kino is no replacement for Casey, but mm-hmm. he, he works. I don't think I don't think you could have had that bell scene and had 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 Kino do it. I, no, or, or, absolutely, uh, Casey not. do it. Yeah. Oh
1: no, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you're that's right. A- it would not have worked that way, but. And you'd have to rewrite, do a lot of rewrites on the script to really yeah. make Casey kind of fit in this part. But just the the part, the role that that character serves, you know, being yeah. like this human ally of the Turtles who helps them out in fights, I think would have been definitely been better served by Casey, especially because we would have had been able to have Elias Coteas come back as well. Yeah. I mean, um, he does
2: come back in the third one. He does come
1: back in the third one. That was <laughs> one thing that that's maybe the only saving grace I have to say I have about the third movie is that they bring him back. Although he doesn't really have much to do in it. The-
2: well, he kind of does. He does. And he doesn't, uh, Casey himself in the present does the, the whole babysitting thing with master splinter and the, the Japanese guards, mm. but they flip him and put him as one of the, one of, uh, what's his name? Um, the, the not the daimio the other guy the, the idiot the the guy with the beard he puts him as one of the they put him as one of the henchmen in the past so mm-hmm. you kind of have a younger clean-shaven Elias Codius he's a character named Wit who is doing all this other stuff and he's kind of the right. spy. he's essentially the spy of the movie so he did have stuff to do he just didn't have stuff to do as kid.
1: Well, okay. yeah, that, that's kind of what I mean. I mean, the act, the yeah, yeah, you're right. The actor had stuff to do, but the character himself didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. One uh, of the things we want to talk about here. Uh, so, what what did you think about uh, Jordan Perry, David Warner's performance in this?
2: May the man rest in peace. I know. It, I don't remember. It was it this year or last year he passed. I don't know. It was like recently that this news came out that David Warner passed away. I liked it. I thought it was, thought it was interesting considering where at, well, we wouldn't know him as Rache until 92 with BTS, mm. but considering where he, okay. From 91, 82 to 90, you know, go, going from Sark to professor Jordan Perry, essentially he's a, he's a human version of, of, of Sark in my mind uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I liked it. I thought it was great for what scenes he was in. You, you had to have somebody there and you had to have somebody that was going to be able to do the long rambly expl- explanations if mm. he so needed to or to just succinctly put it like, you know, whatever. And I, I think he worked. I think his character worked for the interactions that he had in the movie.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um, and as far as his death, he he passed away uh, in July. It looks like this past July.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> Ugh, um, such a loss. you know,
1: I was going to say that he would be. Derek used to say that there's, um, there's the what what the hell is this guy doing in this movie um, part you have, and I was almost going to say that about about uh, David Warner in this because you know, but then I'm looking at his filmography and he's done so much uh-huh. other stuff, so it's hard to really uh-huh. pin it on him. Yeah, yeah.
2: If I'm gonna pin that on anybody, let me look at the cast here. I there, honestly, as much as it works, as much as it works, Kevin Nash. Mm-hmm. Like, who the hell would have ever thought of WWF and TMNT crossovers? Of course, we're 31 years later after this film and Mattel has done TMNT, or Mattel or whoever owns whatever, like they've done WWE T crossover mm-hmm. action figures. Now <laughs> they've done them over the last couple of years. So I guess it makes sense, but I mean, yeah, yeah. Kevin Nash would get my award for that one.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, um, it's funny cause I'm looking at him in this, and then I just remember that he played the Russian in, uh, the Punisher in 2004. Punisher. Yep. Um, and looks like he hasn't aged a day in that time frame, too. <laughs> the man doesn't age. He's, yeah, he, he's forever young. But one thing you, when you said that, it made me think, um, because this was before the time when wrestlers making the jumps to movies was very common. Um, right. Because, I mean, this was basically about the same time as you had the Hulk Hogan movies coming out, right?
2: Oh, You want to talk about a really, really bad film. I don't think this is something we can cover on this podcast, but I believe it was 1991. I'd have to look it up,
1: but Hulk
2: Hogan in Suburban Commando. Yeah, yeah,
1: 1991. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, look, I love the Hulk. I've loved the Hulk since I was a kid, and but man that movie yeah wrestlers are not known at all for their i I, okay i don't know i don't know because everyone's gonna hear me say wrestlers are not really known back then for their movie crossovers whereas you had andre the giant in the princess bride Mm -hmm. but i mean that was like a one that was it's not like today where you know you might see randy orton in like Twelve rounds two, or the Marine seventeen, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's increased over the last thirty years that wrestlers have have also become movie people.
1: Well, yeah, I I, I I mentioned this before, but I was um I was very against the idea of like The Rock and a lot of other wrestlers seeing them in movies because I had because I had I kept getting flashbacks to Suburban Commando. Like yeah. that movie definitely poisoned the well. I think a lot.
2: Yeah, it
1: did. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I noticed too about this movie is the so it you know what, it's weird. It's that the fight scenes um, or the 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 budget is bigger in this movie than the first one. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to. T- I'm wondering where a lot of that money goes to because the the effects and the suits they seem less sophisticated than they did in the first one were you did you feel the same way yeah the suits seem
2: like they're the same if not a little bit different now i do know that henson and creature shop did do the suits for this one Mm -hmm. they did not do the suits for the third one as far as i remember but i don't understand yeah i don't understand why where that budget went uh 25 million dollars like uh I guess maybe they went into Toka and Razor suits because they're so much bigger mm-hmm. than the turtles. I I couldn't tell you where like I'm, I'm trying to think of that now as I watched the movie right before we did this and I'm like, wait a minute, where? Cause I know I know that I know that that that, that razor helmet is not twenty-five million dollars. I know Getting vanilla ice at that time mm-hmm. probably cost, but it didn't cost twenty five million dollars. I guess it's an overall like spread it everywhere kind of. I thing. guess yeah. Like,
1: maybe also the maybe also the sets because they use that um, the abandoned uh, subway station too.
2: Oh yes, yes. Um, which is a,
1: yeah. which you know again that's another thing I, I like about this is I like their new lair. I like that they 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 did that. Um, yep. and they've brought that back a lot like they use that in um they use that the third movie they use that in the the live action tv show um and they've had like a version of it in, in other in other versions of the turtles as well that's kind of like modeled after it so that's that's had some staying power surprisingly
2: yeah i think that outside of this second film the coolest version visually not comic book that was used was when they found the, when they did the, the 2003 animated series and and that series is you're right. It's very much more comic booky, which is great. I love that series. Mm. I do, but the whole layer that they have there, which is technically a sewer layer, not a subway, but it's like, I think it's, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly and I'm in the process of actually rewatching that series Mm. because oh my God, next year is 30 years or 20 oh, wow. years since that series. Yeah, next year is the 20th anniversary of that series. Uh, I'm re-watching it to to catch myself up on it and things like that. But yeah, the subway layer was always so cool. It was always so great. and it, it It's just so fun. Like, again, I remember when I think it's in, is it in late season four, or beginning of season? Whenever it was that that the uh finch in person of interest uh found the the irt substation where they have to have the yeah it's in like the fifth season where they have to have the computer all in the train and everything else and i was like oh hey that's like the turtles turtles mm-hmm. subway station and yeah it was so yeah that that set is amazing i would have i would love to see if that i i don't think it's still in existence but as an 11 year old seeing that on the screen, I was like, Ooh, I'd like to live there. Come on, mom, let's go live in the subway.
1: (laughs) um, So yeah, I thought it was the actual place, but it's, um, it's, it's just based on the, the decommissioned city hall station. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which isn't completely abandoned like in the movie, but there's still trains that pass through there. But, um, but yeah, that that's, and you know, a lot of interesting history behind, behind, um, behind that stuff too. So that's a cool thing to pull in there. Um, although it seems kind of weird that it's, <laughs> it's so close to the surface there that they just find it so easily, but that, that aside, um, yes. uh, now the fight scenes, um, much talking about stuff that's, uh, not as, uh, not as well done in this one is the fight scenes in this one compared to the first one. And part of the reason is because of the, um, the suits because the costumes in this one had very, very small eye slits for the actors to see out of. And they were like a good three inches away from their face instead of being flush. So um, if you watch closely, you'll see that a lot of the, the foot actors are just kind of standing around waiting to be hit. Um, And if you watch closely, they, the turtles would throw out random punches and kicks and then a foot soldier would just bend and jump in front of them so they could be hit.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's again, I I don't know what was going on with the production back then, but whoever's gonna be I mean, obviously the suits have to look like the turtles. They have mm-hmm. to be larger than the person in them. Right. But you like you know there it's been going around for years now, but there's that meme of, of Donatello's mouth where his mouth is open and you see the the guy the the actual person's face inside Mm. of his mouth and all that. Like you would think that they would have found a way then. And I'm hoping, you know, now 30 years later, maybe they can find a way to have the suit actors, not as off their game or not as like, not, not have them. As just off of it is what mm. they were with these designs, man. Like, yeah, those Foot Clan members are like, are you going to punch me or am I just going to fall down?
1: Yeah. 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 The, and some of those, again, this is where the slapsticky stuff came in. Well, also, too, that's interesting is uh, the only one who actually uses his weapon in uh, <laughs> in fighting is is Donnie. Like everybody else, they, they like never use their weapons at all. Yeah. And that was something Derek and I had pointed out in the first one, how, you know, it shows how the cartoon's influence was creeping in because you have Leo who has these two swords, but he can never actually use them to hit anybody. Um, or then Raph with the size, and he can't actually ever use them to stab anybody, at, which in the comics, they had no problem doing that. So yeah, no. they, their weapon seemed almost a little bit pointless in this. In this movie, it takes it a step further to the point that, michelangelo like almost never uses nunchucks at all i don't think we even i can't even recall really seeing Raph's size after that first opening scene in the in the um the the shopping in mall the,
2: in, in the shopping mall yeah that is the only time that raf uses the size and mikey i i liked the comb i i I like the compact cold cuts joke
1: cuz I'm a like cool wait joke. a minute what- yeah that fits a- fits Mikey's character that I can understand a lot of the slapstick yeah. stuff that that Mikey does I think fits totally with his character
2: yeah but I'm like wait a minute don't you have actual nunchucks yeah. what ha- like what happened to them where where the- and I know you know oh my god oh, at least back then over in the UK oh my god nunchucks oh my god you know the bands and the, mm-hmm. and, the and the all that and whatever but it's just one of those things where, yeah, like Leo uses his swords, except he uses his swords as a crutch to do Mm -hmm. other moves. Like there's one point where he throws them up in the ceiling. Now you see him. Now you don't like, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm.
1: Interesting. Which is kind of a, (laughs) I feel like that's kind of a a perfect analogy for the weapons in this movie in general. Now you see them. Now you don't. And then they never see him again. Um, so yeah, that that was a little bit disappointing. Um, also, that that opening scene, for the most part, I did think some of it was a little bit too over the top with the slapsticky stuff. Like, and also, I I couldn't understand why the crook takes his mask off to talk to Kino. <laughs> I know, right? And I was thinking, wait, aren't you you're robbing this place? You're wearing the mask. is explicitly for a situation when someone might see you. Why are you taking it off now?
2: And it's so stupid that he takes it off because mm. it's nothing but a pair of women's, you know, lingerie or, or pantyhose. Panty yeah. It's so I can see his face. Yeah. I can see his face before he removes the mask. That's just dumb. Don't like uh, it's not like one of the foot because again, the the, the beginning crooks were not foot clan, they were mm. just crooks. You know, and yeah, that was just so so silly, and 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 yeah. Uh, but the you know the the fights, the weapons, the I I do love, and again, Donnie and Mikey are the goofier two. I mm-hmm. love in the mole scene where he finds the the little, you know, you push it, it comes, the little stand up thing. Yeah, yeah, and he's like. Yeah, 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 and he becomes like I thought that was ingenious. I thought that was really fun. I thought
1: it. You I know. liked when he was playing with it, but I thought, um, at yeah. I, I thought it made it. It felt a little bit weird for the for the crook in the middle of the fighting to just be like, "Oh, is this a a stand up of the guy?" <laughs> so I thought that was a little. It didn't logically didn't track with me. Even even though I do remember yeah. as a kid loving that. Um, yeah. Also, I, I can't think really- it's the
2: sound effect. I
1: yeah. think that's
2: the thing with that. It's that. It's that. Cre- I. I don't have anything that I, that I can make a creaking noise with because I'm not a voice actor. But it's that creaking. So that's what Donnie heard. For he saw it mm. and he heard it, and then he plays with it a little bit, and then he becomes it, and then you hear the creaking. So it kind of got that middle crook's attention. Mm. And for some odd reason, that middle crook is just apparently doesn't have anything more than a kindergartner's uh, education where he's just like standing there, like you're saying, with all the other fighting going around. But I'm like,
1: what the hell? But it was still a fun scene. Mm-hmm. I also had a trouble understanding where exactly the time frame of this happens, because it seems like it takes place very shortly after the first movie, because you've got the, the Re- Remnant of the Foot Clan coming back and saying like, okay, this was our fallback place after everybody else got picked up. Um and then, you know, Shredder's coming out of the junkyard, obviously very very soon after he had gotten in there. But April's got a whole new apartment and was working yeah. for a new studio and everything. I yeah No, she's still at Channel Three, isn't she? I think it's a different I think it's a different one because it's well, at least, I think at least the design of it is different or something.
2: Yeah, the design of it is different, but I think she is still at Channel 3. I could have sworn I saw Channel 3 because I okay. was looking for that. I was looking to see if they were going to change it from Channel 3 to Channel 6 mm-hmm. to be like the animated series. Yeah, I I want to say it just because Shredder didn't die, even though we were led to believe that he did, mm-hmm. maybe it's been a month or so. I don't want to say anything longer than that because with April's new apartment, think about it. She had to get a new apartment, the, mm-hmm. the shop, yeah, yeah, you know, all that. So, so she would have had to get a brand new apartment and now she's having to also, you know, house these five mutants mm-hmm. at the same time. <laughs> That's why I love her. The rat is the cleanest <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> So I think the timeline I I'm just gonna say I'm not gonna John Wicket it or it's not like the next day or anything, but it's at least maybe a month, if not a month and a half since the first film.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The timing is weird on it. Um Yeah. Even as a kid I remember thinking that there was it was it, it didn't really make sense the timeline. Um yeah. also the vanilla ice i mean it (laughs) it is wild to me to think now that there was a time when people thought vanilla ice was talented there was a time when this guy was popular it is and i was alive i was a kid at the time but i was alive when that Uh happened it just it just blows my mind that that was a thing that vanilla ice was a nationwide sensation
2: well again music was changing back then and 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 all of that and you know you got ice ice baby and then you got ninja rap and you get a bunch of other things that he's done and whatever else And in that time it was just that's the thing like back then in the late 80s early 90s we were still in the age of the mega famous one hit wonder mm-hmm. like You know, you look at bands today and I I don't even I I don't know most of today's music, but like what is it? BTS or whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Just take whatever band you want, like an an actual band or I don't want to say Taylor Swift because she is a hell of a lot more talented than he ever was. But like you take something from today and it's more like, oh, this is a band and they have like 17 hits. Back then it was like, here's a white guy. He can sort of rap. Sort of, and oh my god, this is going to blow up overnight, and it did. And of course, you know, 31 years ago, we didn't have the internet. 31 years later, we do, and it's a whole different thing. Whatever else, I remember having the cassette album that Ice Ice Baby was on, Mm -hmm. and I remember liking it a little bit. Of course, I was like, you know, somewhere like 10 or 11, whatever it was, and then he shows up in this, and. I got to give the guy credit because I've seen other things since then. I've seen his home, you know, his renovation, whatever he's doing now. I've seen things he does, but I've seen things on various toy shows where he's like, yeah, man, I'm a huge, he was a huge turtles fan. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't like, so, I mean, I get your point. You are not wrong in, in, in saying what you said. It's just that, I think it's a misconceived notion of fact of just plugging him, plugging him in or someone like I can see if they just plugged in, run DMC mm. or Sir Mix-A-Lot just to, you know, do something like that where they weren't fans, but to find out years later that he had been a lifelong fan and that was mm. kind of a dream of his, it kind and what <laughs> what are the song you going to use? I mean, he made the song for the movie. Like right. there is like, you can't, you cannot rewrite and if you rewrite the film you take that scene out then there's no point in having a song obviously there but if you try to rewrite it for a difference it doesn't work Mm -hmm. because then the whole movie falls apart at the end with that that bookend scene with where you you know like i said earlier Mm -hmm. you you know master you know so I, i don't know I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a, I'm an apologist around here these days.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't, <clears throat> I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I can't put it together. I can't, I can't justify that scene at all. It's just and when they go up on stage and they start and they start singing with them. It's just, yep. <clears throat> I, I, I understand you've got a big act. You've got a big name celebrity who is a fan mm-hmm. of this and you know, you want to let them do something with that. I get that, but yeah. Doesn't mean you devote a whole segment of the finale to, <laughs> to his his terrible turtle song. So yeah, I could not get behind that. Um but overall I think that the um there are some good things in it. There are some, like I said, you know, I do like you know Adam Carl. I do like Paige Turco coming in. Um I love that the the new lair, but I feel like a lot of the One of the things I really loved, and I just re-listened to the episode Derek and I did on the first movie last night, and and one of the things I loved about that first movie is, you know, first, the fact that it holds up so well, and, you know, the effects still look great in it, the suits still look amazing, Um, you know, the action could be sped up a little bit, but that's that's probably the, the one thing that doesn't hold up as well, as well as, like, you know, the whole thing with Danny, but one of the things i also realized about it is that it's there is so much heart given to those performances like those they really feel like real characters they really feel like real brothers they feel like a real family i mean even that yeah. that scene when um when splinter talks to to raff when Raph comes home after after fighting casey and and he has this heart heart to heart with raff and you know it it's emotional or when he's you know when he talks about when he's talking to Danny and he's saying that all fathers care for their sons, like that's, it's pretty emotional scenes coming from this, uh, you know, an animatronic rat, (laughs) but they, they really sell it in that movie. In this movie, we get kind of a hint at that when, um, when uh, Splinter and Don talk, like you, like you mentioned, and Don's got that little bit of a moment there, but that's more of an outlier than, than the norm in this movie.
2: Yeah, that's more of like, we need to figure out how to walk on this balance beam, but (laughs) we're not going to figure out how to walk on this balance beam. We're just not, because this movie is not, it's not balanced between the slapstick funny side and Mm -hmm. the serious side, because Shredder is not a serious threat in this movie. No, no. He just isn't and it it sucks. I mean and like you said earlier about the about the comics that in the original Mirage comics he's not always there and that's and that's fine but like I would love to see and how far are you into the IDW books, do you know off the top of your head? Um I've
1: gotten up to the 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 first two volumes of the, the new run. Uh, so after the the city at war storyline, and then after they had um, they'd relaunched so the trains after that. So it's right, when they've got right, the town right. so, stuff.
2: Yeah. So one, 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 okay. So you've read the whole 100 issues of the major first part yeah. of the run. That's, so you know everything. You look at the, you look at all of that and tell me that each of those arcs would not make a great animated film.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Like it would be amazing if they adapted those. Mm-hmm. But I think back in 1990 and 1991 like we've already said about the original film, it was a mix of leaning more towards the serious and whatever mm. else and then and then with 91 it was like, oh let's go animated it. and it is what it is but it's like hmm maybe this didn't quite so quite work out so well and I think you could have had like they could have, with this, like like you're mentioning, with the secret of the U's thing mm-hmm. about the meaning of, of of the Utrams, they could have done something. Like instead of doing, you know, at the as much as I, for comedy's sake, I love the, like, when they're you know after the Ninja Rap was born and all that, they're like, oh, Mikey, where'd you go? And they can't find Mikey. Mm-hmm. They have to go back into the. I'm like, N- as much as I love that, you could. You could have put something there that had the... You need to go. Okay, I just want to... Read, okay, uh, You could have had something there where you had a Neutron tease at the end of the film where the third film with the time travel could have been a Neutron thing. It did not have to be what it was. So, yeah, I... It's the '90s. You can't explain it to the '90s anything to anybody. You just can't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm thinking about this overall the the movies mm-hmm. that we've gotten of the Turtles. And now I haven't seen um, the Rise of the Teenage. Um, oh, okay. The, the Rise yeah. of the Teenage Ninja the, the newer animated movie. But mm-hmm. I've seen all the other ones, and. Mutant Mayhem, I don't know what that one is. I don't think I've ever seen that one. That's, uh, was that a video game? I thought that was a... Anyway, that's, yeah. the one, that's the one that Seth Rogen's working on. Okay, that's 2023. Oh, okay, oh. okay. Okay, that's um,
2: not... Okay, good.
1: Uh, which, which sounds pretty interesting, because Rogen is, you know, he's a huge comic book fan, he's a huge Turtles fan, and mm-hmm. he's done some really good stuff as a, as a producer, like the Preacher TV series, and... A um, bunch of other stuff. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with that. But yeah. out of the the movies that we've gotten so far, we've gotten the you know the five live action ones, these ones, and the Michael Bay ones. Um, we got the um, the TMNT animated one in 2007, and then yeah. Turtles Forever and uh, the Batman versus TMNT one. Honestly, out of the well, I'm just I'm just going to focus on the theatrical ones. But out of the theatrical movies, I think basically the 2007 animated one and the first one are the only ones I could really strongly recommend. Yeah. This one, I'd say, if you like the if you like those and if you're into the turtles, then I would give you then I would say you know try try the second one, try try Secret of the Us, but like yeah. you know if I was talking to someone like like Derek, he loved the original one. But I don't yeah. think he would have liked it enough to to find much about the sequel to, to enjoy.
2: Yeah, he would want more of the darkness to come mm-hmm. back with, with the sequel. He would want more of that TCRI storyline to right. be more present. I, you know... I've seen the rise animated film and you don't originally I thought, Oh great. I have to watch the whole rise of the TMNT animated series that Nickelodeon has. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't have to, it's, it's pretty much, it takes the name, it takes the characters, it puts them in a situation and it's fine. I don't like the animation style of the rise of the TMNT. Mm-hmm. It just, that's just one thing I don't like, but the movie was good. I did not like the first Michael Bay produced movie, but
1: I liked Out of the Shadows. The I second did not one like because either one, <laughs> really, I hated them oh, both. I... Yeah, I despised oh, them man. both, and I was hoping to like the second one because I, um, because they had um, Steve Amell come in to to play Casey yeah. Jones, and I was really looking forward to that. Even even he disappointed me in, in that movie. Yeah, I I hated them both. It was oh awful. yeah, I mean. Yeah, so when it
2: comes to the movie, the 2007 movie I need to revisit, I remember it, and I, I don't know, it's one of those things where it's just, I just don't remember that much, and, and yeah, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say the, you know, the, the first 90 film, if people want a live action version of the animated series Mm -hmm. from 87, I would say watch this, this Secret of the Ooze. And the funny thing about the cartoon really quickly is I recently at the end of last year at Christmas time, I spent way too much money on myself because the dang thing is out of print now, but I finally have the complete series turtle van d v d set of the animated series mm-hmm. and I started watching it, and it was like season two or the the end of season two or the beginning of season three where they start doing otherworldly things, and I'm like. I do not remember, see, I do not remember this show that well, Mm -hmm. like I didn't watch it all, I like, I watched like the first, okay, technically season one is only the first five episodes, but I watched most of season two and three, and like, I don't remember, like, I was like, it, it was like, I forget, is it, it's in season three where they introduced like the frogs and all that, and I'm like, I don't remember this at all, I'm like, wow, this show went way out there before yeah. I remember when it actually did, you know, when I thought it did. So
1: yeah, they did a lot of weird things on that show. Um, I haven't rewatched it in years, but I do remember that stuff that, cause I'd watched those episodes endlessly when I was a kid and when they were in syndication and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I think that's it's about as good a note to end on is that I think it's, if you like that original, that original cartoon, then this movie has that nostalgic feel. But if you're not a fan of that cartoon, I think it's, I would stick with the first one. And I would also recommend the 2007 one. That is, I know it got a a bad rap, but I thought it was really strong. I thought it was really well done. Um, Yeah. And some big names in it. You had Chris Evans as Casey Jones. You had Sarah Michelle Gellar as April. You had uh, Zhang Ziyi as uh, Karai. And Lawrence Fishburne doing the narration. Mako playing Splinter, I think that was his last role, actually um but yeah, it was a it was
2: Wait. I'm trying to remember who did Splinter in the twenty twelve series I don't remember
1: well, oh, I'm not sure I never saw the are you talking about the uh, the t v series I don't know, I never saw that yeah. one you should check that
2: one it's pretty good it's not as bad as what everyone says it is i've
1: heard yeah i've heard that i've heard good things about rise but i haven't seen it yet um and i am meaning to to check out that other one. i think i'm gonna wait until my kids are a little bit older and then Mm -hmm. because they'll be able to appreciate it i'm i'm setting stuff up for them now so i've got the the original series for them um And I've got the 2003 series for them. So when they get a little bit older and they're able to start being able to sit down and appreciate TV, then I think I'll show it to them and see what they think.
2: Yeah, I I, I think you're right about that being Mako's last performance. In the 2012 series, it is Hoon Lee who does the voice of Splinter uh, in that show. And he was really, really good Mm -hmm. as Splinter.
1: Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, brings about the end to this. Uh, Michael, can you tell people where they can find you?
2: I am, uh, on Twitter at TFG and Mike. You can also find all of our content on geekcastradio.com.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for coming back again. Uh, it was fun talking about Absolutely. the, uh, secret of the use with you. And as for us, uh, superhero cinephiles.com is the website. Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. I am also on Hive now, as because you know Elon Musk is slowly destroying Twitter. So I'm on Hive under uh, Per Constantine, P E R Constantine. Um, I'm posting up to updates to there about uh, the podcast as well. So I don't know. if... I don't know how, if there's a way to create two accounts on there yet. So, But I'm on there as well on Hive as P.E.R. Constantine. And um, also we got the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Uh Subscribe to that for as little as a dollar a month. You get these episodes a week in advance, and you also get the um, companion podcast uh, where we talk about the uh, comic books and graphic novels and all that fun stuff. Thanks so much for, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. If you enjoy The Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, The Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.